Our uh, scripture reading today is from Acts 12, verses 1 through 19. I believe it should be on the screen, uh, starting with verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was going to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and, and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, he said, and, and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you anoint your word with power. I pray that your voice be heard above, through, and below uh, Tyler's preaching. I pray that you transform the hearts of those around us to your leading and that if there's any resistance to your word, God, that you break it down through the sweet, sweet mercy of Jesus. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to College Student Sunday. As you may have noticed, our, our band and our scripture readers are a bit younger today, and maybe you're looking at me and you're saying to yourself, wow, that guy looks a lot younger than Pastor Mike. And to that I would say, you're right. So this morning we're continuing our sermon series, The Transformational Power. Uh, we're in the third week of our series, and we've heard all about the, the transformational power of God's Holy Spirit. And this morning we're continuing in that series talking about the transformational power of prayer. And we see in the, the scripture, Acts chapter 12, that David just read, that the, 
the, commu- the prayer of a community is transformational. That community prayer is transformational. This community is coming together in their, their times of struggle and praying together because in the, the time period in which Acts chapter 12 is taking place, Christians are becoming increasingly persecuted by the Roman elites and the Roman political officials because the Romans have realized that if they persecute the Christians, they will gain the favor of the Jewish citizens in the Roman state. The, the Jewish um, elites were still not happy with this movement that was becoming Christianity. They weren't happy with the Christ followers. And so Roman officials began to persecute the Christians in order to gain popularity. And this was especially troubling for the early Christian community because they, many of them had believed that the 12 apostles were ins- divinely inspired to be immortal. They believed that none of Jesus' 12 apostles would ever die. But then James was executed, and Peter was put in prison and put on trial to be executed. So their, their hopes and their spirits were becoming increasingly dim and crushed. They were starting to lose hope. And then the Passover festival comes, and Peter gets arrested during this festival that they're meant to be celebrating. Peter gets arrested by four groups of four guards. That's 16 guards all just for Peter because Herod really, really cared about executing Peter and crushing the hopes of those Christians. Peter was a a VIP, a very important prisoner. And his church came together in someone's house. They came together in a house and they were praying. And it doesn't just say that they were praying for Peter, but they were praying earnestly for him. Day and night, especially as they gathered together as a community, they were praying for Peter. And it wasn't uncommon back during this time for church communities to meet together daily in order to pray together and to share meals. And in our North American Christian culture, that sounds kind of crazy, and it would be ridiculous of us to ask you to come to church seven days a week. But that was the norm for them. That was normal to to their culture and to their, their Christian community would come together in times of good and bad, and they would pray for each other, and they would eat meals together. They would support each other. And I know that maybe many of us feel that we have that community, but how many of us can honestly say that we're that deeply connected into a spirit-led community such as the one exhibited here in Acts 12? For me, that, that community, that spirit-filled community of prayer, honestly, most of them are, are sitting right here in this front row. Th- this is my, my crew here, and we, we meet together, not my crew, but this is our crew, and we meet together here on and we often meet on Sunday nights in, in Pastor Kelsey and Ben's house, and we'll come together for Bible study, to pray together, to worship. Uh, sometimes it can get a little rowdy. Sometimes we get through whole chapters of the Bible. Other times we don't touch it. Sometimes we sing acoustic worship songs. Other times we just play DVD Clue. But the important part about it is that I know that the second I walk in those doors, I have a community who is there and ready to pray for me, to support me, to celebrate with me. And how many of us can say that we have this community where, where we can see people who know that as soon as they come, they could, they could grab anyone in the group and they could go outside, they could be ministered to and prayed for. Every single one of us knows that we're, when we're in need of prayers and support, that we have a whole team of people who are there ready and waiting to support us. And while it's important for us to, to pray for each other as individuals in our own prayer life and our own devotion, it's, it's also equally important that as a community we're praying for each other and we're praying for others, that we come together in, in corporate worship and in other group settings to pray for each other. And 
this community in Acts chapter 12, we see they're coming together, they're praying for Peter because he's imprisoned. And it, it doesn't say that they just prayed, it says that they prayed earnestly for Peter. And the Greek word that we translate to English as earnestly is in the same family of words as another Greek word that is a medical term used to describe stretching something to its absolute limits, such as a muscle. And for any of you who are athletes, I was an athlete in high school because I wasn't good at music, and even though my friends are musical, I certainly am not. So I played sports, and for all of you who, who participate in any kind of phys physical activity, you know how important it is to stretch in preparation for running or working out. Because when you're doing that act of stretching, that, that isn't your main goal, but what you're doing is you're using that to prepare for what is to come. In this community, it says that they prayed earnestly, and that word is used purposefully. Their prayer was, was earnest and, intense and intentional, and it was an act of preparation for what is to come. We are called to pray in a way that is earnest and intentional and prepares us for what God will do. Our prayer should be earnest in preparation of what God will do in our lives. And the second thing we see in, in Acts 12 is that prayer actually does work. Both Peter and his church are, they're surprised when he's rescued from prison. They're surprised when God answered their prayer. They either, they thought it was his ghost or they weren't expecting an answer. But if we really pay attention to this story, it's, it's kind of astounding we see Peter is, is locked in the prison. He has two guards on either sides of him, two more at the, in front of his cell. And the angel of God comes down and, and strikes him on the side, tells him to wake up. And he unlocks Peter's chains and says, Peter, get your clothes on. We're leaving. Peter gets dressed and the, the angel of God leads him out of the prison. And he, they come to these big iron gates that are symbolizing the, the entrapment of, the, of, of God's people, the entrapment of, of Christians and how they're being persecuted. And the angel of God leads Peter right through those gates. And it isn't until Peter gets outside that he finally goes, wait a second, this is real. He thought it was a dream the whole time. Even though the angel of the Lord had literally just struck him on the side, he didn't see what was directly in front of him. And then the story gets crazier because he goes to the house of his church community and he knocks and he's yelling, I'm back, I'm back, it's me, Peter. And Rhoda is so excited, she hears his voice and she forgets him there and runs back and has to go tell the others. No doubt Peter is being um, chased by prison guards at this time and he's knocking, trying to get in the door. And Finally, she goes back to their community inside, maybe in, in their upper room or wherever it is that they're, they're praying together as a community. And she goes to them and she says, Peter's back. He's here. Peter's back. And they tell her she's crazy. Like, no, you're crazy. Maybe you're drunk or something. Like, she had too much wine. Like, they think that everything that she's saying is absolutely ridiculous. But in fact, that was the exact thing that they were just praying to happen. They were asking God to deliver Peter from prison, yet when God did, they didn't believe it was real. God answered their prayer in his way, yet they couldn't believe what was right in front of them. God answers prayer not just in the Bible, not just in the times of Jesus, not just in, in the book of Acts, but even today, God still is answering our prayers because God doesn't stop working. God didn't stop working in Acts chapter 12, and he hasn't stopped working now. 
And the writer Luke in Acts 12 is, is poking a little fun at this community that's come together and prayed for the release of Peter and then not believed it when it was right in front of them. And if you're like me, maybe you read this and you think, Who, this, this is Peter. This is the guy that Jesus says, you're the rock on which I'll build my church. You're supposed to be a leader. And the angel of God rescues you and you can't even see what's right in front of you. And Simon talked last week about, about how, you know, Peter called the rock. Also, maybe a little poke fun at the fact that Peter's as dumb as a box of, box of rocks. But you would think that, that this leader of the church would be able to see what's right in front of him, the angel of the Lord. But in reality, that's not so far removed from how we are. It's not so far removed from, from God answering our prayers and, and us being unable to see what God's doing right in front of us about how he's providing for us. But thankfully, our prayers are answered by the ones that they're by the one that they're prayed to, and not by who they're pra- not who they're prayed by. That's important because if this community in Acts 12 was determining the fate of Peter, Peter would have died in that prison. Because while they they prayed earnestly, they had set this expectation on what they thought God would do, and then when God moved, they couldn't see it. But thankfully, they're not in charge of answering their own prayers because God is. Our prayers are answered by the one that they're prayed to, not who they're prayed by. And oftentimes, when, when God answers our prayers, he answers them in a way that we don't expect or not in a way that we don't think he will. And, and in this story, they send Peter straight to the door. They can't believe it. And in our lives, oftentimes, when God answers our prayers, it doesn't end up the way we think it will. I have a, a clip for you from one of my favorite movies, The Pursuit of Happiness, that illustrates this concept of how God often answers our prayers in ways that we don't expect. That's a, a childish representation of the, the thing that's often true in our own lives. That we can't believe that God cares about us enough and that his plan is good enough that he'll answer our prayers in his own way. And we come into our time of prayer setting an expectation on what we think God will do and how we want God to answer. And we miss what's right in front of us. The two big boats that are right in front of us here to save us. We miss Because we're so focused on the things that we have brought into our prayer time, asking God to do something in a way that we envision and not his. But when we pray, we're not telling God what to do. We're getting ourselves aligned to God's plan, not God to our our plan. When we pray, we're getting ourselves aligned to God's plan, not God to our plan. Because oftentimes, things don't turn out the way we expect they will. Things don't always happen the way we think they're going to. But God answers our prayers in his way, the right and good way, the way that things are supposed to happen. And, and we know that oftentimes in life, things happen not the way that, that we expect. And when I, I said earlier I was an athlete when I was in high school, and I distinctly remember this, this time I was in a basketball tournament this summer going into my freshman year of high school. 
we were playing down in Iowa City against a team called the Muscatine Muskies. And they were a really good team, much better than we were. And so it was late in the game. We were probably down by like 50 points or something at this point. And there was a player on this team by the name of Joe Weiskamp. And some of you probably know that name. He plays for the University of Iowa right now. He will probably go to the NBA someday. And I remember playing this team and thinking I was so frustrated and angry by how bad we were getting beaten. And the other team, they were, they were full of really good athletes. And when, you're in, when you play basketball and when you're a good team and you're beating another team, oftentimes, especially when you're you know, 14, 15 years old, you start to show off a little bit. And so they were throwing down dunks and shooting threes from the volleyball line just because they were good and they wanted to prove that they were so much better than us. And actually, they were all a bunch of really nice guys, but they were so talented, so much more so than we were, that they were just destroying us. And I remember at one point a rebound came off and Joe Weiskamp got the rebound and I thought to myself, I'm so frustrated, there's no way I'm going to let him dunk this ball on the other end of the floor. And I was pretty quick, so I ran and I sprinted down to the other end and I got there before he did. And at this time of my basketball career, I was pretty close to being able to dunk, so I was like, you know, I think that I'm going to beat this guy. I'm going to get up to the rim before he does, and I'm going to block his dunk and make him look silly. And I failed to take into account the fact that he is six inches taller than I am, and he's going to go to the NBA someday. And so you probably know how this story is going to end up, but we'll get there. So I, I turn in front of the rim, and I jump, and on my way up, I'm expecting to block this dunk so hard that he falls on the ground. And about halfway to the rim, I realized this is not going to go the way I thought it would. And I got up in the air, and we were about halfway up to the rim, and I thought I was about to see the ball going to the other end of the court as I blocked it. Instead, what I saw was Joe Weiskamp's chest hitting me in the face. And as I started to fall, I saw him throw the ball through the basket so hard I thought he would break it. And actually, he was a really nice guy, and he helped me up afterwards. But things did not turn out the way I expected them to. And oftentimes in our lives, we get to this place of we pray to God, expecting him to answer. And then we get blindsided by what he actually does. And, and he answers and he does what is right and what, what needs to be done. But we aren't expecting the, the things of this life to come at us the way that they do. And when tragic things are happening for us, as they are for this community in Acts, as Peter is about to be executed, we often bring our own ideas to the table about what we think God should do and how he should answer our prayers. But when we pray, when we're praying transformational prayers, when we're asking the Holy Spirit of God to come and work in our lives, we should be aligning ourselves to God's plan, not God to our plan. And finally, we see from this community in Acts that our community must pray expectantly. The Marian Methodist community, our small group communities, our friend groups, we must pray with the expectation that God loves us and that he knows better than us. And we must pray expecting that he will answer. There's this old adage, this old story about two farmers who desperately needed rain. They're in the midst of a drought and they desperately need rain. And they, they come together and they pray for rain. They pray to God to send rain so that they can grow their crops. But then after they're done, only one of them goes out into the field to prepare for the rain. And later, both get the rain, but only one produces a harvest because only one of them prepared their field. And so I, I want us to ask ourselves this morning, are we a community that prays expectantly? 
Are we a community that prays with the understanding that God has a plan and that God's plan will be fulfilled in our lives? A friend of mine, Travis Stevick, who is a United Methodist pastor in northwestern Iowa, who actually, he prayed over me when I accepted Christ for the first time at Summer Games University, and I, I remember thinking to myself, this is weird because I don't know what's going on. I'm accepting Christ, and this guy who's praying for me has a dress on, and, and then I come later to, to look for Travis to try and meet this person and thank them, and I realize that he was wearing a kilt because he had gone to Scotland as a Fulbright scholar. He liked to wear his kilt sometimes when he played in, the ba- prayed, played in the band, and he prayed over me as I accepted Christ. And then a couple years later, again at Summer Games University, he, he preached on the topic of prayer, and he said this, Prayer that is not accompanied by action is no longer Christian prayer. Prayer that is not accompanied by action is no longer Christian prayer. Are we a community that prays expectantly and then goes to take the action required to allow the plan of God to be fulfilled in our lives? Do we believe that God would very literally free us from our prison and walk us out of the gates? Do we make preparations through action to receive that rain in our own lives? I'm going to tell you another story about summer games, and, and I... I apologize if you are tired of hearing me talk about camp the multiple times we have this summer, but I love talking about camp, so I'm going to talk about it some more. And at Summer Games this year on Tuesday night, we were worshiping and we listened to this amazing sermon from Mandy Sullivan, and, and students are coming together and they're worshiping, and we moved into a time of altar call, and the atmosphere of the room changed. Something felt different about this gym full of students Because students started asking the Holy Spirit, they started asking the Spirit of God to come into their lives. And hundreds of students moved to the front of the gym as they went up in lines to pastors to be prayed for, or they asked their huddle leaders, their college huddle leaders, to pray for them. The atmosphere of the room became saturated in the Holy Spirit and full of innocent young people coming before God and expecting that His Holy Spirit would come and do something for real expecting that they could come to Jesus and offer their hearts up to him and that he would listen and he would hear them, that he would lift their burdens and their sins from him and that he still loved them. 400 plus people all together in a gym praying expectantly to God and asking his spirit to come and change lives. Hundreds of people accepting Christ for the first time. The atmosphere of that room changed when people started expecting that God would show up. And you know what? He did. When we pray, are we the church that would be so excited about what God's doing, but then get to the door and turn and run the other way? Would we go back to that room? Would we be one of the people in that room who doesn't believe that God could really send Peter out of prison into our front door? How often as a community do we take time Do we devote time to pray for each other, to lift up the people in the seats around us to God, to ask Him to come and intervene in a very real way in our good times and our bad? After communion later, we're going to have a time of of what we call intercession prayer, an opportunity to pray for each other's needs. And so in just a moment, what's going to happen is I'll have some college student ushers come forward and They will send note cards down your line as if you're taking the offering. 
And we ask that on that card you would search within yourself for the thing that you need prayed for and write that prayer down on a card so that, that others in the community may pray for you. Feel free to write your name or to leave your name off. Either one is fine. But what you'll do is you'll write your prayer out on this card, this thing in your life that maybe is holding you back from God or this thing that is plaguing your family. Write that down on the card. And then as soon as you're done, the, the ushers will come forward again and they will send the trays around for you to put your prayer cards in. This is not our time of offering. This is simply an opportunity to put your card back in the tray. And then during communion, when you come forward, you'll take the body and the blood and afterwards there'll be a student standing in the line with a prayer card. We ask that, that you would take one of those cards, that you would go to the kneeling rail or back to your seat, and that you would verbally, out loud even, pray for, for whoever's prayer request is on this card, even though you may not know their name. God knows whose prayer that is. God knows what we need, and it is important, and we believe it's important that as a community we come together and pray for each other's needs. So right now I would ask the, the ushers with the note cards to please come forward.